Welcome to Rock Shot Talk. Our show talks best practices, fun anecdotes, and the latest cutting-edge technology in our field to kick your screen printing gears in a hyperdrive. Today's episode discusses how automation rocks your screen printing business with liquid graphics. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be right back. I want to welcome everybody back to Rock Shop Talk, your one-stop rock shop where we talk all things screen printing. Today, we are discussing how automation rocks your screen printing business, and we are here with Josh Merrill of Liquid Graphics. I'm Rock US President Ross Hunter, and of course, alongside me today is our creative producer, Mr. Merrill Katz. How's it going? Welcome, welcome. Welcome back. It's been a while since we've been able to do one of these. Thanks so much for joining us, Josh. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate it, man. You guys uh, did a great job on the show, and it's good to have this community. Appreciate you being here, man. Cheers. Heck yeah. It's awesome. So we want to kick off uh, today just a couple of quick updates uh, on the Rock U.S. side. We have Impressions Fort Worth coming up September 10th through the 12th. We will be in Reese Supplies booth, so come see us there. Um, at the show, getting back into it. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's been, uh, man, 18 months, I think, since we've been at a show. So it'll be fun to, to get out and see some people there in Fort Worth. It's kind of a twofer for that because uh, the same weekend, also in Fort Worth, we have the Maid Lab event. We do. So, Maid, you want to talk about Maid Labs a little bit, Meryl? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, and definitely fill in because I, I have a Pretty good idea, a uh, handle about it, but if you have anything else you want to throw in, please do. So the idea around Made Lab, it, it's this partnership with uh, Printed Threads right across the street. They have an incredible facility and we have a bunch of presses, a bunch of different new equipment in there. And it's, it's going to be a really cool event for people to have different talks, different seminars, and really a place to have like an R&D and education ongoing place where people can come for throughout the country and learn how to do different things in screen printing and improve their craft and learn from some of the masters of this industry. Absolutely. Yeah. They're actually set it up to, to do testing within the industry. So it's kind of a non-biased uh, testing facility. So as you know, garment manufacturers come out with new garments, um, they can send them there, get different ink types printed on them, check, you know, what kind of shrinkage they're getting, wash testing, um, ink manufacturers doing the same kind of kind of thing. So it's neat to have a place in our industry now where, where folks are going to be able to get stuff tested and it's brand agnostic, uh, which mm -hmm. is um, so people feel like, you know, they can get, you know, good quality results, get good feedback on their products. And, um, Neat that we were able to sponsor some screen printing equipment in there, but they've also got embroidery, they've got heat transfer, um, pre-press, post-press. So, um, you know, lot, lot of, lot of awesome equipment, a lot of uh, work's been put into this. We're excited to be a part of that launch. And we will and also be giving away the Women in Screen Print Awards at that event too, uh, in conjunction with Screen Printing Magazine. So yeah, be a fun, fun event. It is outside, just, Throwing that out there for for the COVID Delta uh, craziness that's happening. We'll have some yard games, we'll have bars, we'll have food, um, we'll have some speakers. So it should be a really good time. Also, that is happening at the same time as Impressions Fort Worth. It'll be September 10th at Printed Threads. Well, adjacent to Printed Threads. Absolutely. 
And yeah, before we even get into it, Josh, jump in on this topic, man, because this this is a big one, but just kind of a news update. You know, this is globally, it's not just our industry, but shipping right now, throwing out to people that are importing, getting things from overseas as we are one of them. It is an absolute um, mess. And I know it's rippling, you know, through our industry, uh, t-shirt manufacturers are having problems. Equipment manufacturers are having problems. It's not that we don't have shirts or we don't have equipment. It's all that stuff's just stuck on the damn water, um, on a boat or in a port waiting to get off. Have you experienced any of that, Josh? So is this not a liquid only issue? My customers no, I'm just are talking liquid blue. only issue. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they invented COVID or something. <laughs> I'm hearing that you know their other suppliers aren't having issues and it's just liquid. Uh, oh no, it's it's we're 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 having it too, man. It's okay, it's good. I, I don't want to feel like the Lone Ranger because uh, they're made out to feel that way sometimes. <laughs> well, look, man, we've got, we've got nothing but supply chain issues from head to toe. We're actually, you know, our business is already challenging enough as many variables there are, uh, especially at some of the levels that we're printing at today. Um, but man, adding this complexity has definitely created a lot of more, a lot more challenges. And we've actually had to step up quite a bit to really overcome some of these things, which is even difficult in itself because labor markets are really tight too. Um, yeah, it's definitely been an issue. I mean, one thing that we've been really focused on is uh, really analyzing our purchases and really getting ahead of them. And right now we're about six months deep on any of our inventories on the consumable side, which has been very costly to do, especially, you know, I mean, machines we're running and the amount of inks that we're using and so forth on the blank inventory, we're probably four times our normal. Blank. You forgot to silence your phone, didn't you? Well, my phone's silent. My computer's not. It normally is when I have an AirPod in, but my AirPods aren't working with my computer today. So <laughs> I'll you off on this one. So, you know, the, the blank inventory, we're probably about four to five times the amount of units that we're normally carrying in inventory just because the blank supply chain has been uh, very difficult to complete an order. Uh, we even have orders that we might have every single color, but one color or one size that we can't even finish producing. So it's been challenging, man, for sure. Especially on cheap and trying to keep a legitimate schedule. I mean, that's almost gone mm -hmm. up at this point. We're known for keeping our schedules. We're known for uh, making all our dates and, and being proactive on getting ahead of things before uh, they become an issue. And this is one that it's been difficult day to day. Absolutely. We're in the same boat, no pun intended. And it's <laughs> definitely, you know, it's challenging when you get people that are just getting into industry, you know, they're waiting on equipment, they're waiting on their ink, they're waiting on shirts. And, you know, it's easy to get frustrated at a vendor or manufacturer, you know, whatever the case may be. But, you know, I just kind of wanted to bring this up because it's just something that, you know, you can plan for. Josh, is, like you said, has done a great job, you know, on the manufacturing distributor side. It's hard sometimes. I mean, you've got your product. It's sitting somewhere. You just can't get it in your hands. And um, it's definitely created a lot of challenges all the way down to, to this is a funny one, but Taco Bell. I was at a, a Taco Bell. My wife just gave birth to our baby girl and she was dying for some Taco Bell after all this. And uh, we order, get to the drive through no sauce, zero sauce at Taco Bell. I'm like, how is it possible that a Taco Bell doesn't have one packet of hot sauce anywhere? Like I wouldn't have ordered, I wouldn't have come to the <laughs> China. It says 
we're out of socks. Granted, they would have lost a lot of business, I'm sure, that day or that week. But I mean, it's crazy to think that that's how far it's gone, that you can mm-hmm. go to, a, you know, a place like that and they're completely out of a product and it is it's labor shortages it's shipping mm-hmm. problems it's it's manufacturing issues um so you know i think, I think it's gonna get worse i think it's gonna get worse before it gets better yeah that's what they're predicting yeah we went from you know, 15 days on the water to 30 days on the water to 45 days on the water all in a matter of i think three and a half weeks i mean it was just you, like, you what the quotes are on uh containers now i mean containers are in 32 3300 bucks a container in between 18 and almost up to 22 grand on some of the containers coming from overseas yep it's getting out of control but it's not just shipping man it's across the board on supplies i mean look what happened with white ink this last year i mean they run out of you know a lot of the raw materials to, to produce white inks and we got ahead of that you know pretty quick but man we got we got close to where it was an issue luckily they've overcome it but Constant, constant issues in almost every single industry, almost every single supplier is having these. Now, I will say there are a lot of suppliers that are using COVID as an excuse when it's their own internal issues, too. Right. You know, some of these guys are not being proactive and, and really thinking about the future. So um, it definitely is challenging. That's for sure. You better be ahead of it as much as you can. Absolutely. Well, without further ado, we started that conversation. Just want to reintroduce Josh Merrill, Liquid Graphics, with us today. Um, Josh, just wanted to give the audience a chance to kind of learn who you are and a little bit about your story. You know, where did Liquid Graphics start? How did the company start? When did you first get into it? And and how that sort of just evolved into where you're at today? Sure. So I didn't grow up in a screen printing shop. I didn't uh expired to be a screen printer i kind of actually went in a completely different direction i actually started my own clothing company uh, when i was 18 19 years old i built that clothing company and learned my first lesson in finance i got burned by a distribution company overseas and to survive i had to take my design and abilities in that way and use them for the rest of the industry now i grew up in competing in the action sports business i grew up surfing pretty heavy competitively uh, I was in moto pretty heavily. I ended up racing professionally and off-road. So I built a lot of relationships in the you know key action sports areas and in those categories. And a lot of my friends that were starting companies or were athletes ended up having very successful companies. And I started doing a little bit of production for these, or actually started off designing a little bit for these guys and trying to get the production. And I became more of a design house than I did a production house. And I think, you know, I started going, man, doing... $300 piece designs just blows and got into a point where it was like, Hey man, I'll do the design work for free. I want your production. And we were willing to take on the production and we did a full package back then when full packages weren't really a thing. Uh, most of the guys that were nice. was screen printers and they were doing all contracts. So you'd buy the blanks, you'd send them there they'd contract print them, you get them back. And, uh, that was kind of the model when I got into the business. And one of the things I said, why don't we just make this simple? It's, Buy the blanks, let's do the whole thing. I'll supply the art, the blanks, the trims, and ship directly to the customer. And uh, that became kind of our model. And we continued that model consistently. Well, we got to a point where I had three shops pretty much running our stuff full time. And it's got the same old excuses, misdates, quality control issues. And it just became such a fight over and over and over that I got to the point where I better take control of this myself. And I got into screen printing. I bought my first machine. Um, 
I had no idea how to use it, no idea to turn it on. I didn't even know what I was doing. It was actually probably one of the stupidest things I could do is go out and spend $200,000 on equipment I didn't even know how to turn on. I bought a dryer. Uh, back in the day, I bought an MNR 14, six, 14 color, 16 station Challenger 2. Bought a big old Super Sprint dryer. Bought all the equipment, the screens. I mean, I started with everything brand new. And now I have this big loan for $250,000 and I had to make that thing actually start doing some work, but right. uh, took me about a month and a half to really start understanding the equipment a little bit and finding the right people to help me uh, print the shirts. Cause I didn't know what I was doing in that, but I did know, you know, I wanted to have quality product and I want to make sure that I then hit all my dates that I promised my customers. So I never really got into getting super technical on the screen printing, to be honest with you, it was really pushing for excellence that really got us to be um, a better printer. And I pushed my guys. It wasn't about how fast. I mean, today we focus a lot on our efficiencies, but it wasn't about efficiency back then. It was about excellence. Um, today, we try to keep that same excellence, but uh, at an efficient, in an efficient shop. So I think that led to, you know, us becoming a little bit different than the market because I didn't have the mentality as a screen printer. It was, I pushed from a design merchandising and complete package side and went, you know, one company to the next and the next thing you know, we're doing some of the, I think more iconic brands in the industry and those brands continue to grow and we continue to add uh, customers. We went from one machine to six machines within the first couple of years, uh, from six machines to 11, you know, three or four more years behind that. And we just continue to grow the company until uh, like 2018, uh, we started getting into a different phase, which was, you know, instead of growing it organically, we did an acquisition. So we did an acquisition of another successful screen printer that was uh, really close to us. I grew up with the people that owned it. Uh, we went to the same school, believe it or not, kind of knew each other through other people. And uh, he was one of the guys that kind of helped me in the beginning of the, the business and kind of led me down the right path to finding the right people and who to use and who not to use and kind of helped me along. <laughs> I was, uh, thought that was a great thing. And, but ironically, you know, years later, we, we did a deal and we acquired that company. So that was in 2018. And I think the same year we made the decision to do a big switch out from, I was at MNR uh, all 18 years. And uh, we made a big decision to switch to the rock equipment, which was one of the best moves we made uh, from a screen printing side. Thanks for that encouragement, for sure. And you guys, yes, at that point, I'm not just saying that because you're on the screen. You guys, <laughs> you, guys, you know, look at. I'll talk about pros and cons all day long. Uh, I'm not getting paid for this. Actually, I paid you guys for it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> at the end of the day, uh, it was a big thing in our shop, and I, I was grateful. You know, there are some big challenges. And we can get into that. Oh, absolutely. But at the end of the day, it was one of the best decisions we made. And at that point, if I recall, you had about 24 uh, MNRs, right? I believe something like that after the acquisition. Yeah, what we had was we had 11 machines. We actually were up to, Liquid was up to like 15, 16 machines, and I had disposed of four. There were just machines. We had some older, older formulas, and it was time to get rid of those things to retire them. Uh, we upgraded a lot of our MNRs into... Um, newer MNRs and got rid of those and we picked up some efficiencies there. So we, I think, ended up with 11 or 12 machines and then Absolute had 14 machines. So the combination, I think we had 24, 25 machines. And when we made the rock switch, um, we got rid of all the machinery for Liquid and Absolute at the time and became one with 15 machines from rock. 
Right. And so obviously a lot of challenges there, a going from, you know, 24 machines of production down to 16, you know, I remember one of your goals was, you know, how do we pick up those efficiencies? Right. Because you're, you're essentially trying to do more with less at that point. Um, and I remember talking to you, I wasn't even on this side of the fence yet. I still owned, uh, my business in Los Angeles when we first, uh, met and spoke on the phone. I actually remember this day, like the back of my hand, I was shopping with my wife, uh, in Valencia, California at, um, world cost plus world market. And I was on the phone having this, having this conversation and, I think that the biggest thing at the time, at least the conversation you had with me was how your team was going to adjust, right, to switching from, you know, M&R, which is a, a great brand, tried and true, you know, and especially in California, I owned a business there. Believe it or not, I had an M&R press as well for all of you out there listening. I mean, that's, you know, that, that was what it was at the time. Rock wasn't even in the U.S. when I, when I got my M&R, right? And you know, my team, uh, and I remember having this conversation with Josh, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but had always told me, if you ever switch brands, we're out of here. We'll quit. <laughs> we're going to leave. It's going to be this revolt. And that, you know, you get these master printers in, in LA that have been printing on the same presses for, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, depending on who it is that you hire. And they're really adverse to change. Really yeah. adverse to change. For sure. That was a, that was a big problem for us too. Right. So can you kind of elaborate just on that and how, how, how the trans, once you made the decision, we, we got the equipment in there and making that transition. I mean, you had at the time close to 300 team members, I think, and I don't know how many of those were operators, but quite a few operators. So what, what did you guys do and and how did that change take effect? and, And what was kind of the life cycle of that? You know, we, you know, we had a pretty aggressive plan, which was we did the acquisition the same year that we replaced all of our equipment. So it was a pretty aggressive schedule to really do that. I mean, in hindsight, it was the timing of it all that we had to make it all work. Uh, As we were moving equipment was the opportunity for us to switch out equipment rather than set up all equipment from the acquisition and then dismantle it all again and then put in the rock machinery. And we had a very tight schedule. You guys had a very tight schedule of building the equipment and everybody had to work really hard to make that happen. But when we got the machinery in and we'll, we'll kind of jump ahead when the machinery is actually installed, we go through some of the other things while it was being installed and the coordination that happened there. Uh, we literally had to take down machines as we're putting up machines and continue because we cannot stop production at all. Um, especially with the merger of both companies, it was a uh, pretty crazy schedule to keep up we had not only our schedule which was already at some capacities we had their schedule which was at capacities so it was a very big challenge doing that but the challenge i think was in the beginning the most was definitely the employees uh you know we have veteran screen printers that you know been printing their whole lives and or a good part of their life and they're going to look and say okay we're going to switch these machines they're very uncomfortable with them but we're going to teach them how to screen print on these new machines. They're like, are you serious, bro? We've been printing for 10 years. We're the expert. You're not going to teach us anything. And when we received the machines and started going through them, they were different. And a lot of the guys were like, hey, you put these machines in, I'm out. And unfortunately, we lost some good operators in the very beginning. Um, and 
you know, they just didn't believe that this machine was going to be right for our company. Uh, the guys who stuck around, I'll tell you what, they're convinced that these are the right machines and I don't think they'd want to switch back. So, you know, we went through this evolution. We did lose a lot of production in the beginning, you know, switching everybody over. There's a lot of differences. In, I mean, there's a lot of similarities, obviously, in the screen printing, but you truly have to print properly on these machines. You can't can't screw around with pressure the same way you did on the other machines. You don't have a lot of forgiving. Yeah, man, there's a lot of bad habits in screen printing. And our, our shop is even, you know, guilty for doing some of that stuff. So at the end of the day, uh, you can't get away with that as easily as you could on this machine. So the, the habits, I think, um, that especially in California, I mean, they're all taught on the same machines, like you said, the very dominant company uh, on the West Coast. I'm sure it is across the United States, but definitely on the West Coast. And everyone's used to printing on those machines. So there was a big change. I mean, we, we went through some hell, I think, for a little bit with our capacities being down and trying to manage the schedules when our guys were learning at the same time. We didn't have a proper plan where we could put one machine in and train, get them all dialed, then put the next machine in and train. We literally had to do mass training of over 100 you know, people at one time and put them right back into production at the same time. So it was challenging, but... You know, you guys stepped up at that time and really helped us. You guys put that machine, I don't know if you recall, but you guys put a machine and dryer in uh, another part of our building where we just did, and you guys sent out techs and trainers and literally trained day after day after day until you said, okay, these guys got it. You move them into production. And we're trying to plan that planning around the same time the next machine would go up. Man, it was, it was some scheduling that was pretty fun there for both of us. When I remember, you know, talking hiccups, I know that one of the biggest shifts too, I mean, not only in the machine itself and pressure and angle, like you're talking about where you can't cheat as much. Um, and I know exactly what cheating you're talking about. Cause I did it at my shop too. Right. It's like, Oh, this white ink won't go through the screen, Whoop! you know, crank it up, put the angle to zero and, and <laughs> make it happen. Right? But we had, uh, you had to do it, man. We had issues with the flashes. I remember that because it was a totally different technology um, with the smart flashes, right? That heat up the pallets as you get started and and the press heats up. And, and that was another uh, another challenge, right? With the operators, because they were used to turning on some switches, letting it rotate for a few minutes, heat up, and then, you know, you could fry an egg on your pallets. Um, and just go to town. And so I know that that was another thing that I remember being involved in that we had to come in and do some testing and, you know, work with the team, you know, specifically to get all of those things functioning because the technology is so much different than it was on, on your older machines. For sure. I mean, the biggest difference is the pallets, you know, the pallets heat up and cool down differently than the previous machinery, you know, so they retained a lot more heat on the solid metal pallets and the, the honeycomb pallets do not. So that's really the big difference, but there's definitely a lot of difference in, in how the flashes and the technology works hand in hand. And that was a big differentiator where the operators had challenges, you know, thinking in the old mentality. We had to almost reteach them to think differently about that. And once they got it, I'll tell I will tell you now, um, and even a few months after we started getting through it, once they saw it work properly, then they kind of go, aha, I get it. And right. it kind of clicked, you know, some guys fought it for a long time and, you know, we just pushed and pushed and pushed until these guys finally got it. And I think now uh, the guys that really, it really clicked with 
they became our ambassadors to the rest of the, the crews and said, hey, let me show you what we did over here to make this work and quit thinking the old way. And that was a big help. We did have a couple, we called them champions, guys that championed the machines early, really worked with a lot of the other operators and uh, really helped push that along. So there was, there, there was some big differences, but I'll tell you, today we would make the same change even with all the challenges that we had. So like summing it up, I mean, even with that comment before we go into a commercial break, what has it done for your business? So moving from those 24 machines to this 16, you know, you guys have done a lot of other stuff. We'll get into some KPIs and things, you know, a little bit later during this talk. But, you know, just to kind of sum it up, what what did it do for the business? Well, look, I think there was multiple things going on at once. Um, we had to become better printers ourselves through that transition because we couldn't get away with some of the stuff that was typical in our industry with the MNRs. So uh, we had to change some of our processes along the way too. We became better at all of our processes to get it to the machine. Um, but when we put those processes together from our, our all the way through the DTS into uh, the on the setups with the um, quick setup systems that, that are developed on these rocks, all those things in combination really helped us. And then our processes as a company in the management side, uh, we had to get better too, making sure everything was documented properly. You know, we did a lot of documentation. Um, we did before, but man, we really had to step it up. And I think in the beginning, it went through, we were kind of half-assing it because we just need to get production done. And that was some of our challenges. But once we really got into stopping and taking a, a second to really realize that we we're creating our own issues and really went through the documentation process properly, you put a combination of that, uh, the setup system and how well the machines printed. And then we finally got all those things put together was where we really started seeing uh, some huge improvements. So to really go from saying, Hey, this seminar and this rock, put them together, and this one does X amount of units, and this one does X amount of units. I can't really give that clear data to say that it's 100% this or 100% that. I will tell you, knowing what we were doing on our machines and how far we pushed them previously to what we're doing today on them, we could not achieve the same results that we had back then. It's just it's just from the setups alone and the setup process to the actual run times these machines uh, and registration. I mean, we. You do not have registration, falling out of registration during the production. There's notorious on the other machines. The bearings would wear out. Um, we constantly have those issues. We're replacing bearings. And depending on how well your guys installed those bearings, how well you'd register again, we just don't have those issues today. And, you know, we run the show of these machines. You know, we run these things 10, 12 hours each shift, and, and we're running uh, 20 to 24 hours a day uh, on those machines six days a week. We pit wow. more mileage on those machines and. I believe, I don't know what your other shops do, but I imagine we've some pretty heavy miles on those things. More than anyone else in the country that I'm aware of at this point. Um, so, you know, it's, it's yeah. And I mean, so you're, just to kind of elaborate on your point too, it's, it, it's crazy when you make a change. I think a lot of people are afraid to make changes. And it's interesting when you make a change, how much you learn about your business. And this is just a change in equipment, right? That drove you guys to changing your efficiencies from an operational level, from a management level, from a printing perspective, from, I mean, just setups and teardowns, right? Alone, which is even part of the printing process, but it changes because you had to change. It almost brings me back to when you said, I bought my first machine and I spent a quarter of a million dollars and I had to figure out how to make that money. 
-hmm. you know, it's the same kind of concept when you make this switch. And it is scary from, you know, a, a, an employee perspective and, and a lot of those other hurdles that you have to overcome. But it's interesting what it did, you know, kind of globally, you know, for your business, because I was a part of a lot of that. I mean, it was neat to see and be involved in this sort of transformation. You know, the few times I'd come out, we'd meet, there's hurdles to climb, and then, you know, we'd fix this thing, and then we'd learn this thing, and then we'd fix that. And it was this really cool evolution, you know, of a business making a, a really big transition. Um, so thanks for pointing that out, because it, it, it's cool to be a part of, and it's neat to see, and I think it should really show people that change typically is always positive there's something you're going to learn. There's something good that's going to come out of it. And while it may be scary, you know, in the moment, you know, the after effect of what you're going to get is typically a, a more positive than you even think to your point, just buying. Look, we're, 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 make, we're making a bet that we believed what we we're being told. And, and I will tell you that, you know, Ryan and uh, the rest of the team really stuck behind. I mean, it, was, it was a big move. I think at the time we were, and maybe we're still there. I don't know the largest purchase in North America of your machinery at one time or at all. Yeah. No, you guys are still there. Yeah. And you know, that was scary for us at the same time. And I was leaving the big Goliath and I'm sure I was going to have repercussions if I had to come back. Right. And, um, that was challenging, you know, and, and we had to really believe because it was a huge investment. We already had all the machinery. I didn't need new machinery. All our machinery was relatively new anyways. Um, and we usually turn over, yeah, we usually turn over our, our machinery, you know, every three to five years and maybe some of it was a little bit older, but we didn't really have super old machines in there. So it wasn't like we were replacing a bunch of dinosaurs. We really had pretty, you know, updated machinery from uh, our previous machine company. But at the same time, you know, departing from that was scary in itself, you know, and if it didn't work out, you guys, I think you guys grew a lot through that process too. I think we learned a lot. Huh. Yeah, and I will say, and and I say this not being on this show or anything else. I say it to anybody that ever calls me about it without you guys even around. Honestly, if it wasn't for the hard work and dedication that you guys stuck behind everything you said when we did this, because there was a lot of things that were that popped up through the whole process that you guys had to jump through hoops to get it done, and you guys did. I mean, you guys went to the point where I think Rock had almost every tech that was available in the world in our shop. Yeah, <laughs> deadlines because they knew we were going to be down. Yeah, you guys had just as much writing on it as we did. I think you know it was a pretty big placement, and for Liquid to make that big switch, I'm sure it sent some echoes through the industry that, um, you know, could have been good or bad for both of us. So I think right. it was a big move on both parts, and we both worked hard to get through it. And I think we both learned and grew together a lot on that. Ton, my opinion. And it's I great to see where both companies come from there. You know. Right. Absolutely. That's awesome. Thank you for that. That's a yeah. It's a testament. You guys, honestly, everyone that's been involved in this side of the business with you guys has been, you know, when we have an issue, we look at. If you're gonna say there's no issues on deals, I don't care who you are. You're full of it. You know, um, right. there's always issues. It's how we deal with them that really makes a difference in companies. And you guys did a great job. You guys still continue to do a great job. I mean, I think we were just going over, we're at the end of our warranties right now. You know, we were just going over some of the things that, you know, we think <laughs> that really were some design challenges, not really maintenance issues that we're going through. And, and I think we're working through those things relatively well, you know, and, and it's fair. It's not like, 
oh, hey, it's black and white. It's not. You know, there's pieces in there I think you would all have to agree uh, needed some improvements. And and then there's also other areas where, you know, liquid had to improve because we weren't doing a few things right that caused us some challenges. So, right. look, it took both of us. And I think we both did a great job. And I have to commend you guys and your team for uh, really jumping in and doing things that you need to do because it could have really hurt us even to, to a really bad degree if we didn't work together as well as we did on all levels. And thank you for that. And to, to, to you and your team for sure. Yeah. yeah well, no, let's uh, hop to a quick commercial break. And uh, when we get back, we will talk more rock and liquid graphics with uh, Josh Merrill. We'll be right back. The ever increasing market demand is leaving many businesses in a tough spot of not being able to fulfill their orders on time, which carries serious potential consequences. With precision multitasking built into its very design, your Rock Eco is the ultimate screen printing machine. Expand your production without expanding your effort. The auto press made to match your need for speed. Rock your way online at rock.us or call 187-ROCKET-NOW. That's 877-674-8669. I want to welcome everybody back to Rock Shop Talk, your one-stop rock shop where we talk all things screen printing. Today, we are discussing how automation rocks your screen printing business, and we are joined with Josh Merrill of Liquid Graphics. I'm Rock U.S. President Ross Hunter. Alongside of us, as always, is our creative director, Mr. Merrill Caps. And uh, Merrill, we just had a great conversation over the break. I wanted to turn this over to you. And- we sure did. Yeah, thank you for that. We'll, uh, we'll just interject it probably right here. You know, most screen printers, they know how to screen print really well, but they, they're horrible running their businesses. Yes, most most are actually losing money all the time. Um, mm-hmm. oh, he no. about that a few times. <laughs> don't even know they're losing money. No, they yeah. don't know, but they are. Yeah. Look at their bank account every Friday to see what's in it, and that's how they determine if they're making money. <laughs> that's, that's horrible. I mean, actually, that's one thing that I want to work on, and maybe it's something we can all do together is helping the industry understand their businesses a little bit better. Yeah, dude, I've actually, I've talked to a couple of the trade magazines. It's something I want to get back into. I finally got to a place with this company where I've been able, I put great directors in place. We actually just went through this whole thing and brought on people and it's given me time to like focus on the business in a different way. And um, I want to bring some of that back. So I'd love to talk to you more about that because it's something that's desperately needed and that I used to do. Um, and it's the one piece I miss. Like I miss teaching people business. I miss breaking open people's books and going into their shops. I remember went to one business I consulted with. They had five business partners when I showed up. I was there for a three-day consult. When I left, there was one owner. I mean, we literally redid, we redid everything. And it was like, their problem wasn't their prints. It wasn't, it had nothing to do with screen printing. It was everything to do with their business. And they were just so lost. And they hired me to come consult them on screen printing. And that's, I didn't consult them for a second on screen printing. It was all about everything else. So I think most most problems, I mean, I see the shit that's out in the marketplace. Do you guys are getting away with murder and screen printing? Oh yeah. Most of the guys don't understand their business. That's the problem. And I will tell you, it's difficult. There's a lot of variables and a lot of assumptions you have to make, and you have to constantly track those variables. That's the biggest part. There are so many moving parts in screen printing that it's hard to track. It yeah. really is. And, and they're very for most of the time. Yeah. There is no data in our industry on what should be done on a one color 10,000 piece run or a 14 color three piece run. 
there's all these assumptions I hear. The guys say, oh, we're five minutes of screen. I'm like, bullshit, you are, dude. I took you an hour and a half to set that 12-color job. <laughs> so, yeah, my, you might have picked your screens because people call it, oh, it's per screen. That's how we measure, right? Well, that's fine and Danny, but are you measuring the distance in between or the time between when you actually started your setup and end your setup and you're calling it your screen time? Everyone has different definitions. Right. And, and it's funny to hear. I mean, I was on the phone. <clears throat> I was on a call the other day with a company that's – looking to be acquired and they're small. They're not very big, probably not something we're going to do, but um, I asked them, I said, do you have any doubt on it? Well, yeah, we're, we're running about, you know, five or 600 pieces an hour. And I'm like, what equipment are you running? And he told me, you know, gauntlet stuff. And I said, there's no way, dude. Is that including your setups? He goes, oh no, I, I, I let them have 10 minutes per screen per setup. And I go, okay, are you, can you document this? Because you know, I start going through his numbers a little bit. They don't add up to anything he's saying. And I said, are you tracking this stuff? And he goes, well, the guys turn in their numbers there. They go, but do you ever see the calculations to see if they actually add up to 60 minutes? You know what I mean? Right. So we go through one, one exercise. I, take, I pick a random day. They'll give me Wednesday, this day of your guys' paperwork. There's like a missing like six hours in that shop. <laughs> <laughs> I go, so that doesn't add up your times here. I go, how are you really knowing? So anyways, long story short, it's the typical thing is they have their standard 10 minutes of screen and 500 pieces an hour or whatever it was, but they're not really monitoring it or measuring it the same way that they say they're measuring it. Right. And I think that's a big problem in our industry. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have no idea. There's only one piece of the puzzle that's the printing. And if you have that wrong, the rest of it's screwed anyways. Right. The printing business itself can make a shitload of money. Packaging and everything else you do is what kills you, you know? So you better have your screen printing down pat and figure out how to get it even better, in my opinion. I remember, like, things that people didn't track. Like, I I remember we got our first 30,000-piece job. I remember that day. It was a huge day for me. It was awesome. And, you know, you price it. It's competitive. You do the whole thing. And then when the guys started unpacking all the boxes – I never thought about that. It wasn't like, oh, it's going to take five people, like six days to unpack 30,000 pieces, stack them by size, get them prepped, get them ready. And it's like, yeah, people don't think, I mean, that's like a simple thing, but like they don't think of how many touches on the box, how many touches on this, how many touches on that. It's just about the printing. And that's what's always funny to me with people buying presses like, oh, you're selling presses, right? Oh, our press does 1800 shirts an hour. And it's like people buy off of that. And it's, I, we don't sell presses that way because it's ridiculous. It's like, that doesn't matter. Like all the presses print. Once the machine's run, yeah, once the machine's running, every one of these presses can haul ass. It's yeah, right. getting there. That's yeah. Different. And as you are. Okay, cool, man. Um, <laughs> So great talk uh, about about the industry. Um, this is always awesome. Just getting to to hash things out and and you know hopefully bring a level of business back to this industry. I think it's just such an important piece of what we do. And uh, hopefully, me and Josh can team up and make some stuff happen uh, for everyone out there listening and those future listeners that are picking this up later. But um, back to liquid, kind of wanted to, to pick your brain, Josh, a little bit on, 
you know, we're, I guess I should preface this. We are highlighting the rock eco this month. Um, it's our, you know, top tier press and our minds and, and we've got three levels. We've got the U we've got the next, and we've got the eco. Um, when you guys came to us, obviously those options existed. Um, I don't believe the next did, but the U did. So we had the U and we had the eco. What, what drove you to the eco decision um, with all of your units and your presses are all actually identical as well. So you went with the same format for all 15 of them, I believe, uh, in terms of color and, and, and palette. Um, so what kind of led you to the eco and then as well, kind of uniforming everything that you did in your business? So, you know, one of the big things that Liquid really focuses on is, is the quality and the efficiencies together. We can't compromise one or the other. And doing that, you know, we really looked at both machines really closely. And uh, to make the decision of going one way or the other was really listening to you guys tell us how much, you know, which machines did what. And we want to have the best of the best in our shop because we focus so much on the efficiencies that if you really look at this and you really look at a business model and a business plan, the difference in 50 pieces an hour per machine on how many machines we have and how many hours that we're running or whatever the difference is, is a big number. The machine acquisition cost is actually insignificant in the big picture if you're running your business properly. So if you can find a machine that can, you know, hit the colors or hit the setups in the time that you need to run efficiently at the level you need to hold your registration, do all the things you need to do. And you're getting an extra hundred pieces an hour, or 50 pieces an hour. You do that 365 days a year or 250 or whatever days you're running that thing times the amount of hours that you're running in your shop. I don't care what anyone says that machine, no matter how much you pay for, it's going to be uh, uh, paying for itself over and over and over again. Absolutely. And I mean, the big difference, just the technical aspects so our listeners, though, know those of you that maybe don't have a rock press or have a U and, and don't know much about the eco is the drive, the drivetrain system between the two. So the U works off of game changer, honestly, massive, right? The U works off of Geneva drive and, you know, the eco wor works off of a chain drive. And so when you're indexing, that's really where you're picking up these efficiencies is the time it takes from the pallet to actually move positions. And on that chain drive, you can run fly mode, which is something that we've got built into the computers, which actually speeds up that indexing even faster. So the time it takes for a shirt to move from station to station is much quicker. Because as we all know, as printers, you know, your flood speed, your squeegee speed, that's the stuff that actually slows down your print. But in between that, if you're able to gain that efficiency and how quick that shirt is moving from color to color, that's where you're picking up, you know, to Josh's point, it may be 50 shirts or 100 shirts an hour, whatever the case may be. And it's in that little bit of time that it makes for that shirt to, to move. All that, that compound point. interest. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's a, it's a big difference. Seconds are everything in printing. You know, guys don't realize it, but you're printing... Uh, 300 pieces an hour versus 350 pieces an hour over the whole time period of the whole year of how many man hours is a big number, especially when you time to buy, you know, five, 10, 15, 20, whatever, how many machines you have in your shop, you start looking at that. It's pretty significant. Mm -hmm. The game and the losses. So you can go both ways, 50 pieces an hour left, you're not making money. And it might be the difference of your shop being profitable or not profitable is that 50, 80, hundred pieces an hour. hundred percent. 
So why did you go with uniformity? We see a lot of uh, businesses that'll buy multiple presses from us or from others that'll have, you know, an 810 and then a 1214 and a 6.8 and they run them in a pod off of one dryer. Why did, and you run pods as well. So I think you've got three presses per pod per dryer. Why did you choose to go uniform with all the same configuration? Well, the biggest thing that uh, led us to that is really scheduling conflict. You know, we, you know, as trends change, you know, last couple of years has been a lot of heavy, heavy color count stuff. And some years it goes simple. I mean, there was a time where we had all 18 color machines or not all, multiple 18 color machines and we we're booked two months on those machines and then we had other machines just sitting wide open that we couldn't do the jobs on because of the color counts and one of the big things that we constantly ran into was scheduling issues on the machines and so we we're trying to play the scheduling game uh, between how many colors what this machine can do what this one can't do you need to do high density on the mach this machine you can't do it on that machine you know all these different configurations so i said we don't we do this from scratch Every machine is going to have every capability at the maximum that we want to offer our customers. And that's what we did. So every single machine is identically matched. Uh, they have all the exact same parameters across the whole thing. We do not have scheduling issues anymore. We have all 18 or all 15 machines open both shifts for any single print that we do. Wow. And we do the most complicated prints on each machine or the simplest. It doesn't matter to us. It's not a scheduling issue at all. I think that's a killer piece of advice for people listening out there that have multiple machine shops that are looking to make a transition that are looking to buy multiple machines or add a machine, you know, think about the future. So if you're adding a machine right now because you're getting more color count work and you're keeping a smaller machine, that's fine. But then as you grow, you should think about not just adding another eight color machine or six color machine to save a dollar you know, get another 12 color machine, right? Or another 18 color, whatever the case may be that your capacity is. I mean, Josh just makes such a great point. I've seen too often people will get in, they've got some money, they're at capacity, they want to buy a new piece of equipment and they're thinking about the equipment cost and not thinking about what that equipment is doing in their business and for their business and what that future holds. Mm -hmm. I've seen folks buy stuff and a year goes by and it's on the used market and, you know, they're losing money and then they're having to redo it again. So re really take hold of that. You know, those of you out there listening, because I, I think that that was a pretty golden um, little moment there that, that, that Josh. Uh, hey, we, we were, we were victims of this. We were victims of the same thing, man. We had, multiple 14 color machines. We had some 16 color machines. We had some 18 color machines, some six color, eight color, 12 color. And it was a nightmare in scheduling. And we always were backed up on certain machines. This one could do all over, this one couldn't. This one could do high density, this one could do jumbo, this one can't. I mean, it was just a joke. So right. figuring them all the same was a huge game changer. And and look, not we, we were like most shops, we didn't have everything figured out day one. But let me tell you, if you have the ability to do it, match all your machinery. You know, figure out what your customer base is and what their needs are. Look, we know our customer base pretty well. So we knew I don't need to have 24 color machines or keep going beyond that. We can do almost everything we need to do uh, in our 18 color machine. So why buy 24 or 22 or whoever knows how many colors you want to do? But at the end of the day, I knew that a 10 color machine wouldn't work. If I had all customers doing two, three, four colors, I'd have all 10 color machines. Why have 24? Why have 18 heads, you know? 
So at the end of the day, we know our customer well enough and our customer base and who we're going after that we knew that that 1820 was the right fit and the number of colors that we needed and it would handle 99% of our business. That's what we went with. Did all the machines the same way and it's really been a game changer on scheduling and efficiencies. We're setting up everything the same and we have screens. All the screens are the same. I don't care if it's jumbo or not jumbo. Every single screen in our shop's the same. Everyone's a jumbo. Nice. Well, it's nice too because when we're talking about like your staff as well, like getting used to something by having identical machines across the board, that means you can actually staff those machines with anyone on any specific day. It doesn't matter because you probably have some master printers that are better than others, but it doesn't matter what press they're using because there's uniformity across the board. So as long as a press is open, you know, it's like go to town and, and do what you need to do. So that's cool. So move, moving off of that, um, you know, we've talked a little bit uh, and you've mentioned this quite a few times about, you know, understanding your metrics, understanding, you know, what your business is doing through every step of the process, be it from creating artwork to the dark room, to setups, to your print times, to tear down, to cleaning, what KPIs, I mean, if you just kind of give us a list, do you guys track? So on a per job basis, you know, and you could just, you know, list them off, but what KPIs are you guys really looking at um, to make changes and efficiencies and really take your business to the next level? So I don't have everything in front of me. I'm actually at home. So I didn't have a list of all the things that you're- Oh, no at. worries. Just, you know, pop your well, head. That's one of the things that we track very well and the things that we're improving on tracking right now, because there are some complexities in tracking that we have, have actually simplified a little bit um, that we're actually going to drill down deeper on. Um, so we're actually in the middle of really get a more deeper dive in some of the areas than we're doing right now. But uh, most of the things that we're tracking right now, we're definitely tracking all of our machine matrices. So, you know, what the set, what the, how many colors uh, they're setting up, the amount of time that they're setting up each one of those screens, uh, how long it's taking them to uh, get to the first print. So we measure between the time we stop to the time we start. Uh, if there's screen issues, they have to be noted and how much time they spend on it. So if we have a pinhole, or we have something, we're tracking the data on those machines on, on that side of it. We're tracking the amount of units that run per hour. We're tracking uh, any type of defects uh, on the machine side. So that kind of sums up in a simple way what we're tracking on the machines. Uh, we do track how many man hours, uh, how many people are on that machine, uh, and how many man hours we're actually running uh, on that shift also. And when we track that, we're actually tracking it into uh, our times of actual operating hours on our overall meaning let's say we're running an eight hour schedule on that shift we're tracking the seven and a half hours of work because you you don't or seven point whatever hours of work that we're actually working not the breaks but when we do our averages from a costing or an allocation standpoint we are averaging that full eight hours because we are paying for seven and a half hours we're paying for so we do work that back into our matrix so all guys don't think about that stuff. You know? So we, we really have those things figured out there. We also have maintenance figured out into our costing across the board on downtime, which believe me, we don't get a lot of downtime figured into it because it's where we're so packed on schedule um, that we're usually doing that actually on a non-calculated side on overtime 
uh, on the weekends, which isn't really favorable, but that's what we're doing currently just because of the current market conditions. Uh, but usually, you know, maintenance into a normal schedule. So, you know, we're allocating, you know, 20, 30 minutes uh, per week or whatever the maintenance schedule is per machine uh, into our working hours. But so that's the screen printing side of it. Uh, we do track the amount of screens that we're reclaiming per day, the amount of screens that we're shooting per day. Um, we're tracking uh, the amount of inks that we're uh, doing per day per person. So we do track some of the processes ahead of that. Uh, one of the big things that we've been really working on um, is really fine tuning our packaging because we do a lot of packaging and packaging, believe me, is one of those big black holes that you could really lose a lot of money in if you don't really pay attention to the amount of handling that's done there. So uh, first we started off with just units and kind of did an average of what we're getting paid per unit and an average of what handling we're doing per unit. But now we're drilling down. In the last probably four or five years, we've really drilled down on that pretty heavily. We're actually tracking every single type of application that we're doing in the packaging, matter, whether it's a ticket in the neck, a ticket in the sleeve, uh, a safety pin by hand. We're literally getting down to the finite and tracking how many pieces per hour we are doing per person in those applications. And even with the folding, packaging, automated machinery, uh, we list, you know, there's three people on that machine or two people on that machine. And how many pieces that they're getting per hour if it's a short sleeve a long sleeve a fleece a hooded fleece you know we're really getting down to those type of details and setting up matrices for what our expectations are and also for what we bonus out our uh, team members for also you know it helps us set up the incentives um, in all departments we are tracking receiving every day how much we're receiving in and how much uh, we're shipping out we're tracking how many pieces we're pulling per day per person and their accuracy on um, so we, we're following a lot of different things uh, throughout the shop. We're also now into the point where we're really following the average time, uh, how many work orders we're actually getting input per day and how many work orders are actually being processed from beginning to end. And we have those in classifications too. So we have them as a straight stream print uh, t-shirt, you know, order a blank mill, uh, basic print, you know, on the shirt and basic packaging as a category. And then we have ones that are more complicated, like, we do a lot of custom dyes and PFD and stuff like that with different applications that are tracked a little bit differently. They take a lot more time to uh, do the dye development and do the data entry for each one of the dye houses and everything else. Then we go to, we have, we do outside cut and sew also. So when we get into cut and sew, it's a different allocation. So we measured those. We're not super efficient in those yet. Uh, we're working more and more on trying to track those to get a more finite. So we know how many, we call them caseloads that we can take on in a department before we have to add another uh, product developer or another uh, customer service or, or another member in there to really help that. And it's really being tracked by how many unit orders and also the dollar amount. So we can say, okay, we think that each customer service person, these type of ranges can handle before we need to add the next person. And it's taught us a lot. Actually really looking at that, we start realizing that there's some customer service people that we have that are way overloaded and other ones that are light and getting away with not really doing a whole lot. So really that, really tracking that's really helped us start balancing that. And we're not perfect at it. We're still learning a lot there. Um, actually, I was just in a meeting yesterday where we realized that we we're really focused heavily with a few people um, and I'm sure that's just because we know that their confidence level is a lot higher in getting those type of jobs done. But we had a big 
influx of those type of jobs and that person was getting really overloaded. So we're trying to balance those things a lot better in each one of those departments. Um, I'm trying to think of what else that we're tracking. We definitely track our pad print and our screen print neck completely separate than we do in our normal screen printing. Um, even if we're doing neck prints on a screen printing machine, it's tracked completely different because when we go back to measuring allocation of what we charge, whether you're printing a neck print on a pad print machine, or I mean, on a, on a screen print independent machine or a bigger machine, you get paid the same. So um, you're not getting paid a full print on that. So, you know, we track it differently because when we come back to our KPI metrics for profitability, uh, we want to measure, you know, what we're getting paid against what it's costing us to do it. And if you have it on a screen printing machine, you're supposed to get paid a screen printing rate, you're going to be measuring that profitability incorrectly. Uh, right. That's a lot. That's a lot to keep track of, man. There's actually a lot of but that oh, kind of. Sure. <laughs> I, should, I, should have, I should have had you make a list ahead of time. We could have, <laughs> could have a whole uh, uh, episode on KPIs. And I, it, you know, it goes back to Josh's, your, your point earlier about all that goes into screen printing business yep. and people don't think about it. Right. It's, it's look at that list and that's not everything. Mm-hmm. And then if you're listening out there, think about your business. What are you tracking out of that list that isn't even everything? And then what did Josh just say that you're missing that, you know, you should probably think about because this is where people lose money in this business. Big time. Is thinking about all this stuff. So it was great. Now, um, look, I will tell you one thing about KPIs, really measure the things that are important to measure because you can, analyze till you paralyze. So you got to really, really think of, and those are the things that actually really make us, uh, I think more profitable, or I should say more profitable. I should say, I think more efficient is we're measuring that so much that we know when we're off and we know if it's an employee issue or if we know it's a complexity issue, or if we are just over expecting in that type of application or we're under expectating on that because we might have four or five of the employees are doing it at such a higher rate than one or two of the other employees. And we can find out what's going on there. And I think that's really helped us learn a lot of stuff, but I will tell you, it's taken a long time and a lot of effort and a lot of coordination to get to the point where we're measuring that stuff. And we're not perfect. And especially on the packaging side, it's a very fast moving side of the business. That's really difficult to track completely uh, for every single touch that you're doing there absolutely let's take this opportunity we'll go into another quick commercial break and when we get back we will wrap up with josh merrill and liquid graphics we'll be right back download our free ebook on how automating your fulfillment can transform your business so you can find out why the industry's top dtc fulfillment companies rely on rock automation for their expanding business to download your free copy today please visit rock.us or call 187-ROCKET-NOW that's 877-674-8669 want to welcome everybody back to rock shop talk your one-stop rock shop where we talk all things screen printing today we are discussing how automation rocks your screen printing business and we are joined with josh merrill of liquid graphics i'm rock us president ross hunter and alongside of us as always is our creative director mr merrill caps hey hey thank you josh for joining us today we're uh we're a podcast of two merrills this is the first time this has ever happened oh that's right every time he says merrill i like (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Every time people talk at Rock about Meryl, I'm, I'm always having to clarify which one of us it is. So I, I appreciate being able to share this share this with you today. <laughs> so the, the question I want to ask, uh, and definitely would be part of my department here is, uh, Ross shared with me that you're starting to launch a new social media campaign. And I just want to kind of pick your brain about learning the whys behind that. Like, uh, why now? Why, uh, and not just why now, but what avenues are you trying to take it? So, you know, it's funny. I've been asked this quite a bit lately. Because uh, we didn't do anything before, uh, we really, you know, we service mainly the wholesale business and and private clientele that does not really want everyone in the world knowing that we're doing their products. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't really have a, a real need to do this, you know. But as we've been growing the company, you know, and, and some of the relationships, it's been important for us to start letting the rest of the world know who we are and. We're taking it slow right now. We really haven't even updated the website. It's being worked on as we speak. Um, just starting to get wet a little bit on the uh, social media side of it. And then I own some other brands outside of Liquid, and I have some of the guys on the team there that are starting to handle that stuff. We're starting to take it a little bit more uh, serious as, you know, in the 21st century here, we need to catch up on that side of it. We're doing all <laughs> You know, you go into our shop and we're state-of-the-art and everything else, but we have yeah. zero – you know, social media movement whatsoever. So, you know, it's just, it's time for us to do it. And we should have started a long time ago. I see a lot of shops, a lot of smaller shops. They do great job on social media. That's one thing that I think they have up on, on liquid. You know, we can, we can do all the things that they can't do on the, on the printing and, and because the size and scope of our business, but they kill us on the social media, you know? So, <laughs> and I think actually doing stuff like this has actually promoted us to really try and do that a lot more too, as you know, we will start pushing this thing. We want to start getting out there and maybe helping. I, I see a lot of shops out there that are struggling with, they're really lost. You know, they're great printers, but man, they're lost on everything else. And, and I think uh, the best thing that we can do, you know, is really maybe help them understand their business a little bit. And you know, we'll eventually start doing that through some of our other social media things. We're not doing that right now on social media. We're trying to introduce liquid graphics again to a lot of people that don't know about liquid graphics. I think a lot of our industries that we work in know us very well, but the rest of the world doesn't. So um, we're taking this one step at a time. We're not by any means the social media gurus. Um, and we'll continue growing that. And and hopefully we'll, you know, help people through some of this. We'll, we'll start having some informational videos in, in the future. Uh, we'll start having maybe some tech uh, informa- information out there. You know, we might have just encouragement stuff, you know, stuff for guys who are a little bit lost and we've all been there. I've been there. I mean, I didn't have it all figured out. Totally. We still don't have it all figured out. You know, we're pushing every single day. Um, but at the end of it, you know, hopefully we can use this platform to, to maybe educate a little bit more, educate new customers, educate existing customers and maybe help the shops in general, you know, with some information and we're not going to give away the farm, but we're going to definitely help these guys. I think if the rest of the industry has the right you know, they're all screen printers. Everybody can screen print, you know, at different levels. Obviously, there's different levels of qualifications to that. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing that I find for most screen printers is they don't know their businesses that well. And I think that's where we've actually exceeded and, and, and really has driven our success. And I think that we need to help these guys understand that so they can also know what they're doing when they're doing it. I, I go up a lot, competing a lot on competition and, and some of the competing 
pricing. Uh, guys, guys are lost sometimes on what they're doing, and and that's okay. Are we, I think we can compete with anybody. Heads up, I just can't compete with stupid, and I think it will help a lot <laughs> if these guys understand their business. I'm not saying they're stupid. I'm saying they're just not thinking about the business matrix. They're thinking too much about the screen printing matrix. You have to have if you want to grow outside of a one or two shop. Not all people have to either. I mean, let me tell you, there's there's some bliss about not having a big shop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you yeah. got 300 mouths to feed all of a sudden and you're tracking, you know, bajillion KPIs, it definitely changes the ball game. But it would be cool to see the industry come together. I mean, sometimes this, and I, I, I understand what you mean about, uh, you know, the stupid comment. And, and I agree with you. It's not saying that. No, no, no. I, mean, stupid. I don't mean stupid. All people are pissed off and saying they're stupid. That's not what no, it no, is. No, 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 no. I actually get what you're saying. Matrixes that are what they're in business for. I mean, if you want to be a charity, that's one thing. But if you're in business to make money, you can't do it at the expense of your customer. Those days are gone. Right. <laughs> And, and that's what's hard in this business. What's that? Oh, I was just saying that's what's hard right now too in this business. It's the price competitiveness with people that don't understand their business and they get into bids and they get into these things and they're pricing things at, you know, 35 cents a print. It actually cheapens what we're all out here trying to accomplish. And it's it's interesting because yeah, they win and you get that feeling. But then if you actually had a CPA or, or even you or someone like me sit down and ask you all the questions that you would need to be asked to actually know if you made money or not, you know, I'd say 9.99 times out of 10, they're losing. But there's that satisfaction of the win. But what it does is it actually cheapens the industry, <laughs> makes it harder for anyone to make money. Right. And what happens is, and those folks go out of business, and that's just natural attrition, right? I mean, it's going to happen um, because they're not making money. But now you've given a client an expectation that at one oh. point they got this service for, again, I'm just using a random number, 35 cents a shirt. And it makes the other folks have a really tough barrier to entry, right, to get that back on track. So I, I love the concept, Josh, because it's something that, I think if everyone stood that it works together as a cohesive unit, even though we may be competitors, quote unquote, um, if we're all cheapening the industry and we're cheapening the business, it'll implode on itself mm -hmm. at some point. It has imploded many times over and over and over. The cycle happens. I don't know how many screen printers come in and go out. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, in my career, I've been doing this almost 25 years. Um, I don't know how many screen printers that were the guys I looked up to are history. Right. You know, the guys are gone, you know, they've turned over. I don't know how many of them turned over. It's, it's pretty crazy. And that's the one thing I vowed not to do. And we learned a lot. I mean, we're, look, we, we didn't have it all figured out when we started. I figured this out as a gone along, but at the end of the day, one thing I really paid attention to is like, you have to know what everybody else is doing. You have to know what the, the market's bearing, but you also cannot charge your customers for your, inadequacies of knowing how to run your own business. Those days are history. So mm -hmm. if you're overcharging just because you don't know what you're doing, that's a problem. But on the other side, you have to be able to provide that service to your client properly and profitably. And you have to do it at the right number. You got to know what you're doing and know why you're doing it to get there or else you're going to be in trouble on the other side. And if yeah. you don't know both sides of that, 
and it's a moving target. It is, there's no, there's no math that's going to say 55 cents is the number that you're going to charge for screen printing every day and you're going to make money. It's impossible to know that. It's really a moving number based on your own overheads. Every business is different, but I'll tell you what, 90% of these guys price off somebody else's price list. I can't tell you how many times I've seen my price. That's why we don't issue pricing is because my price list ends up everywhere, you know, and we don't do contract printing, thank God, anymore. But um, at the end of the day, there's just too many guys pricing off someone else's pricing or a customer says, I'm getting it done for 35 cents. Do you want the job or not? You know, <laughs> well, if they get done for 35 cents, why are they calling you? There's a reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, and I think that's the strength for liquid graphics is we know what it should be because we watch our numbers for our business and we know, and I'm not saying that you could probably do a 35 cent job in the right circumstances and make money. If you have a shop that does, I'll just take some random numbers, a million dollars a month. We'll just take a good number, right? And you have extra capacity at the end of the month and you've made all your numbers and made all your profit and you have an extra 15 or 20 hours to do a 35 cent job and it's additional money going to your bottom line, you can make that work. But if you take that on your regular business, on your normal KPIs and your normal profitability scale, you're going to lose your butt. Yeah, that's a good point. But I would recommend never taking a 35 cent job. <laughs> I like that disclaimer. So, you undercut yourself, you undercut everyone. On, on to be honest with you, at the end of the day, you got to do what's right for your business. But I can tell you right now, being a low price leader does not work unless you're so much more efficient than everybody else and you can do it right. And I'll give you, I'll give the guys credit. There are guys out there that are pulling off 35 cent printing and they're super profitable. They figured it out and congratulations to them. Absolutely. So on the note of, you know, 25 years in this industry, um, learned a lot, still learning. If there was a way to go back to your beginning years in screen printing, when you actually got into screen printing, so after the, the design front and once you actually bought that press and got back in, is there anything that you would go back and change? And if so, what would it be? Would I have to be in screen printing still? <laughs> no, that could be the change. Absolutely. I'm just, I'm, I'm totally uh, curious. Look, screen printing has definitely had its challenges building the size of business that we've built. Um, it's had some really incredible years that I'm very proud of. There's also been some very dark years that, that were very challenging. Um, I think the one thing I could say is what I would have probably done differently is really taking this more serious in the beginning. I think we would have been to where we're at a lot sooner um, and a lot more profitable than we were through certain years. You know, we're, we figured that out later in the game and became more, we were so concerned about our quality and our image and what we did and what we, you know, the perception of liquor graphics that we spent so much money sometimes that we were losing money in certain jobs that, that because we weren't not because the job was a loser, because we weren't managing our, KPIs properly or what we should be doing properly. And we lost it in our own business when we actually could have made those jobs profitable back then. So uh, I think balancing the KPIs and, and your excellence in printing, I would have taken a lot more serious, you know, 20, when I started, you know, at least 15 years ago, we've only been serious about them. I think for the last 10 years. And I wish I would have gone back even further because it could have been, a huge number difference between then and now, you know, and I think another big thing is I think I'd have paid more attention 
to the right hires and hiring the right people early on. Now I've had some great people working with me and I still do to this day. Guys have been with me since day one. Um, and they're to this day, my right hand and, and a lot of the things that liquid does is not just me. It's, it's this army I have underneath me. Right. Um, but I can tell you, I made a lot of mistakes in hiring too. And they've cost me some crazy money. So, you know, find the right people, I think is number one, number awesome. one, find the right people. And then take your business serious from day one. Every minute counts. Every single day counts. And it's a building process. There is no overnight winners in screen printing. There just isn't. You just got to take it day, day after day, push day after day. And if you watch your matrixes and you keep your business in check on those matrixes and they're making the numbers the way you're supposed to, you'll make money. You just got to know what that is. If you don't, you won't know. Absolutely. I think you can't be successful in it because there are times that we were successful in it. And we didn't know if we were coming or going, but we were successful. And there was times that we weren't. So I can't say you won't survive. I'm just going to say you have a way better vision of where you're going to go and how you're going to get there if you understand that. And I think you can become more profitable and not on the backs of overpricing, on the back of actually knowing what you're doing. That's great advice. So we moved back in time with that question of, you know, what you would change. So moving forward, um what plans do you have for the future man expansion you know we're, we're always looking to expand you know it's doing it how we want to do it now you know before we built sales to you know maximize our facilities and we're at a point now where we're looking for opportunity we're always looking for opportunity and how that comes i'm open we're looking at other acquisitions right now whether it's guys that have newer technology uh, there are some actually really, really bright young guys out there that really know technology that are in the screen printing business. They don't know the business side of it and they don't have the business side of it, but man, they sure know the technology better than we do. We're looking at some stuff in the technology area that's in the screen printing area. I mean, the screen printing business side of it. Uh, we're looking at brands. We're looking at online brands. We're looking at, I mean, we're looking at all kinds of different things to grow the business. Look, we have, because of the success we've had with, our infrastructure and the rock equipment, we have capacity to continue growing with our existing infrastructure. Uh, awesome. And we have quite a bit of room to keep growing that existing infrastructure. Uh, and right now it's a little difficult because of supply chain. I mean, we have so much inventory, our building is literally full to the gill, but once that kind of comes back into the normal turnaround cycles, uh, we'll open up quite a bit of our warehouse where we can continue adding machinery as the business grows, but the next future of our growth will definitely be through business we choose, not having to make things make sense. The business makes sense today. Um, and we're open to different deals, you know, so don't know yet, man. We're, we're still building that plan right now. And as the opportunities present themselves, we look at them and if they make sense, we go forward with them. That's awesome. A good place to be, right? It's a great place to be. Absolutely. Well, on that note, um, I wanted to wrap up and, and Josh, give you an opportunity just to tell people where they could find you. I know you guys bar barely have kind of done in the social game, but um, website or, or social handles or anything people could take a look at. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, we can go to liquidgraphicsmfg.com. Um, 
you know what? Unfortunately, I'm going to have to look at our Instagram handle. <laughs> <laughs> it's new. That's okay. No one blames you for that. Uh, I try to stay off Instagram, man, as much as I can. Smart. It's under uh, Liquid Graphics, Inc. I-N-C. Liquid Graphics, Inc. Awesome. Well, cool. I appreciate you joining us today, Josh. This is a fantastic episode just a wealth of knowledge i hope our Thank listeners you. out there really took away some of these golden nuggets of wisdom because there definitely was a lot to unpack there and uh appreciate you as always for being a part of our rock family and uh, having a, just a great continued partnership and and a wonderful uh, view of the future whatever that uh may end up being which sounds like it could be a multitude of different things which is exciting I know for you and, and for us as well. So thanks again for being here, man. Yeah, thank you guys. Look, we don't know everything there. We don't have everything figured out. We've been through a lot. We've had a lot of great clients and a lot of different uh, things happen at Liquid that, that I think have separated us from a lot of the people in the field. But at the end of the day, uh, we want to continue to grow. And if we can help uh, work together with you guys to, to better the industry, we're all, we're all open for it because it helps us too. You know, sometimes going through this stuff actually helps us too. Absolutely. Well said. Amen to that. I really appreciate you guys, man. Rock's definitely, when we picked our partnership with you guys, we did not make a mistake. I don't look back and I'm, I'm, and regret anything. Uh, we've been super stoked on uh, the support we've had with you guys and, and I wouldn't change it. So thank you guys. Appreciate, appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. And to all our listeners out there, continue to press onward. Until next time, rock on. Rock on. Rockin' thanks to Josh Merrill for joining us today. As always, thank you for spending time with us this week, and thank you for the opportunity to be your partner in print. Tune in at your convenience wherever you listen to your podcast by searching Rock Shop Talk. If you'd like to request to be on the show, please visit rock.us slash rockshoptalk. If you found today's episode helpful, please recommend it to a friend who you think may find it helpful as well. Please like, share, and subscribe on social media. And until next time, rockers, press onward. Press onward.